0: This is Rico Media with Peter Kafka. That is me speaking to you from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. I'm here with Dennis Crowley. Hi. Co founder, hello, of Foursquare. Executive chairman, You I have the title right?
1: Yeah, co founder and executive chairman.
0: We've just spent the last few minutes talking about podcasts and Instagram stories our kids will and won't create. Should we talk about that for the rest of the hour? Uh, I think it's a great topic. It's yeah, an important topic. I can hear people turning off uh, the <laughs> iPhones right now. Welcome. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Nice to see you again. I saw you this spring. In Austin, at South by Southwest, yeah. you were there a little bit unwillingly, I think, to celebrate uh, the 10th anniversary of Foursquare.
1: I wouldn't say unwilling. It's just like, I, I like being home. I like being with the kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And but I, It was we, fun. And we met late at a bar. We were bumped into each other late at a bar, as one's supposed to do in Austin.
1: At the Drusco Hotel, Yeah, which is where all the cool kids like us hang out
0: used to be where the kids <laughs> and now we're old and so we were there <laughs> So anyway. we don't know any different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go a little bit back and forth in, in time and talk about creating Foursquare and what it was like sort of in that very particular moment in time mm-hmm. for a few years when you guys were a giant deal or at least covered as if you were a giant deal um, what you're doing now. Let's start with what you're doing now. You created Foursquare 10 years ago. Yeah. You're not running it day to day.
1: No, I'm an executive chairman. Uh-huh. Uh, in 2016 uh, I asked Jeff Glick who was our COO to be the CEO. And uh, you know, he stepped into that role. He's been doing a great job. This is during our transition from being a you know B2C company, consumer apps, to being more of a B2B enterprise SaaS company. So, uh, so let's, let's unpack that for one second. If you if you've never heard of Foursquare, which is oh, yeah. possible, yeah. uh
0: this was an app where you would tell people what you were doing, you would check in, yeah, it and was. say, I'm here.
1: Yeah, we started with the thesis of like, you know, let's make software that makes cities easier to use, yeah. right? And the idea is, if you got people to check in to lots of places, we would learn about the places that you went to, learn about what you like, what your friends like, and we'd help you find great places. You'd create a city guide. Yeah, it's like a living, breathing city guide yeah. uh, based on what you, you and your friends like to do.
0: So we can talk about how that evolved. Sure. That, uh, that at some point that sort of had stalled out, and you guys went to a B two B where you took basically said, "We have a lot of data here that's really interesting. What yeah. can we do with that?"
1: It was like it wasn't the stall. It was more like you know, at that time, considering you know, the size of the company and and what we needed to do in order to. Build the technology yeah. that we were building, we realized like, listen, you need to be Twitter scale, Snapchat scale, Instagram scale to really make money off of advertising in mm-hmm. the app, and that we just weren't going to hit that scale. Right. So
0: you guys reach that conclusion? Yeah. Say someone else should be running the company. We can talk about how that works. Sure, sure. And and so, but so for the last three years as executive chairman, you're still working there full time. What so what what does the job entail today?
1: Yeah, it's um. You know, like executive chairman, executive means you come to work all the day, right? Uh, All the time. And so, you know, like I work on Foursquare Labs, which is like our Skunk Works R&D group. And our group is, you know, the task is to make interesting things with Foursquare data and technology, things that, you know, no other company could make because they don't have access to tools, and really things that like no other company would make because they don't have kind of our spirit of this, like, you know... Making things that make cities easier to use, and so you know, I spend a lot of time doing that. I, you know, I do some stuff like this, like evangelism for the company, and then just like you know, like I'm like the the chief connector of dots right, at Foursquare. So like I listen to what you know people are happy about or angsty about, and I try to you know fix those things by bringing people together. So,
0: so the R and D part sounds pretty cool. You're a product guy. You came out of that background, and so now you get sort of in my mind, you sort of had this sandbox you can play with, yeah, which is great because you're funded. Yes. And you get to do things theoretically at scale um, without the responsibility, it sounds like, of sort of day-to-day, how is our revenue going? Yes. Et cetera. I,
1: I was describing it to one of our board members. It's like if, you know, when the, when the team, when the Foursquare Labs team has the appropriate number of staff, it's like one of the best jobs in New York City. Right? Like we get to build all this amazing stuff with this amazing set of, you know, data and technology and, you know, just test it internally, roll it out to people. It's super fun. And what's it like being attached to the company so you have this cool job where you have
0: resources and you get to play around and, and sort of less responsibility than you would if you're running it but it's still a company that you co-founded yeah uh, you're not running it day to day how does that how do you sort of square that and sort of is there a tension there that's sort of natural where you'd think oh I wish we should be doing this or someone comes to you and says Dennis we've got a we gotta align on on this idea
1: yeah it's it's tricky that the executive chair job is kind of hard because and to be like founder at this or co-founder at the same time, like you know, have all these these things, and I care very, very deeply about what we do and the things that we make. But you know, I also I, d- I don't want to be a distraction to the the strategy into the success of the of the company. And you know, even though like I'm very excited about the stuff we build, the labs, uh, it doesn't directly relate to revenue. Maybe it doesn't. You know, you know when you when you go three or four levels of a sort, sort of, of abstraction, bank shot, and, yeah, and yeah.
0: eventually something you make ends up being baked into the actual company at some point. But it's not.
1: Yeah, my, what my you job do. is to like advise and help and guide, but not distract. And that sounds easier than it than it is. Um, because I think, you know, as you talk to tons of CEOs and tons of executives, like CEOs will tell you like, you know, Hey, even if you just have a passing conversation with someone in the hallway, someone might overhear it and be like, well, that's what the boss wanted to do. That's the most important thing. And so, you know, Jeff is the, is a CEO, like what, what he says is what we end up doing. Right. I but-
0: imagine there's a lot of like, Jeff says something and then people are looking at you to see if you are. Hundred percent aligned with what he's saying, or you know, what your yeah, body language is. Yeah, yeah,
1: that it's true. It's like what some of the unsaid stuff. And so, you know, Jeff and I are on the same page about like almost everything, which is which is very helpful. I can imagine ways in which the CEO exec chair thing goes totally sideways and is a disaster. But uh, we've been pretty pretty good partners. Like have, we have our, we have our moments, but like like we've been very good partners over the last couple of years. Have you
0: talked to people? I mean, I'm trying to imagine similar roles. I mean, uh, sometimes you hear about the CEO leaves, the founder leaves, and then there's a, yeah. sort of a Travis situation where yeah. or other, there's other Steve Jobs situation where they they come back and, and reassert control. I mean, um, are there are there models you're looking at where someone is doing what you're doing, where you're attached to the company but separate and
1: there's, you know, executive chair job, I think, is usually a code name for, like, this person's no longer in control but isn't going to leave yet. Mm-hmm. Um, for like maybe, Advising. Yeah, for optical reasons yeah. or whatnot. But my, my thing was, like, I... I didn't really enjoy the job, right? Like I, I didn't enjoy managing all these people. I'm a builder. I like to build things, right? I wanted to go back to like building a, you know, like small startups, basically, and that's what we're doing with Labs, like a startup inside of a startup. But you know, I didn't want to do it outside the company because. Like, you know, Foursquare has this destiny to fulfill, and I think the things that we're building with Foursquare Labs push us in that direction. I think they're good for the company, they're good for the internet in general, it's good for, you know, innovation and technology, innovation and innovation in this, like, location technology space. Like, there's lots of work to do here. And I I feel like I'm most useful uh, in trying to push Foursquare's agenda forward. I'm giving you 100 points for candor for saying you did not
0: enjoy being CEO. Of the company you co-founded. When did you when did you realize you did not enjoy
1: being CEO? Um, I mean, there, there's parts of the job that I that I liked, but then it's just management. You know, like I, I like working on a very functional team. I like leading a team, but I don't. You know, I, I just just the, the management part and the. Was there like,
0: a time where you're like, oh, when you got to 50 people or 100 people, or you raised X amount of money, or you did your 20th interview with people like me?
1: No, know it was, it was it was in the period where we were we were starting to have this self-awareness. It's like listen, we made amazing consumer products and we still make amazing consumer products, but these consumer products are not gonna pay the bills. And we were experimenting with all sorts of like B2B revenue sources back in like 2015, 2014, 2015. And you know, I remember having a pretty frank conversation with the board. Where I was like, listen, th- this company can will be super successful, but you, you need someone that wakes up every day thinking about like enterprise tools and you know like the advertising work, the segment work, the development tools business. And it's like I, I, I'm excited about some of that stuff, but like I don't wake up every morning wanting to do that. Like you need someone that's like has like enterprise stuff running through their their veins. I'm like I'm like a I'm a product guy. I like to build wacky, quirky products, and I'm good at that. And you know, like I think you have to have the awareness. Of like what you're good at and what you're not good at. And so I raised my hand and I told that to the board. And the board's like, no, 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 founder-led companies are the best ones. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be here to help. But like, you know, day-to-day management and strategy and operations and resourcing, like you, you just you have to have that type of person because that type of person.
0: Because there's a couple paths for people like you, right? That's what you're describing is a somewhat standard sort of founder narrative, which is yeah. someone makes something, it's cool, people are excited about it, the company grows, and then either the founder who made the thing is not the person to run a much larger yeah, yeah. company and and either willingly leaves or, or gets pushed out and you bring in a, a, a someone else who's a manager-manager. Yeah. Or the, the there's the bring in the Eric Schmidt slash Sheryl Sandberg adult in the room. Yeah, yeah, And they do all the stuff that you don't want to do. They deal with advertisers. They manage. And then the it's the Mark Zuckerberg idea, right? Yeah, yeah. And you, you for a while, were close with Mark Zuckerberg, right? Are you still do you No, now? No? Not
1: now. But, you know, like we had a bunch of like flirting back and forth with his company and right. Foursquare and Facebook and yeah I have haven't been connected in a while Was there a discussion of like can we bring in someone like
0: that can we bring in a Cheryl can we bring in someone I mean that's sort of what you did right with Jeff Glick I guess
1: Yeah when, when Jeff came in as COO you know that, that, was, that was the fix but like You know, I had talked to the board before that. And so I was like, here, can you guys, you know, can the board advise me on how do I hire a COO that could eventually be a CEO? Like, that's not a conversation I had with Jeff when I was interviewing him. And I was like, if I can bring in a really strong operator and have this person, you know, do well for a year or so, and there's no, like, you know, organ rejection, so to speak, then I can tap this person on the shoulder on a good day and say, hey, would you like this other gig to be CEO of the company? And it's like, you know, that's a big that's a big deal and then you know even after I proposed that to Jeff I think it took almost like you know six months to get Jeff in and then it was like you know he, he was at the company for like 10 months and then we worked together for like 10 or 12 months to get a strategy for the for the transition but for that you know from the moment that I talked to the board about I don't know if I'm the right CEO for this company for the long term uh, to the day that I stood up on stage of the company meeting and I was like Listen, I got some news to share with you. That was, that was two years. Like, that's like the biggest, most intense project I've ever worked on. It's a long, gestating thing. Yeah, it's, it's just not like you wake up one morning and you're like, you know what, I just don't feel like being CEO today. It's like, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of planning and strategizing and comms stuff, internal comms, external comms, yeah. fundraising, board, every, you know, it's just a lot of work. I want to talk more about that. But first, I want to take a break so we
0: can hear from an advertiser. Be right back. I'm back here with Dennis Crowley, who's being observed by his comms person. How are we doing, Sarah? Excellent. Sarah says excellent. Thumbs She's up. Smiling. Thumbs Good. up. I want to talk more about founding stories and, and, and the transition. I do um, want to talk about where the company is at today. Mm-hmm. You're not running day to day, we've established that. I use both Foursquare. Foursquare got split up into two different apps. One's yes. called Swarm, where you check in and you say, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I do that. I'm not exactly sure why I'm doing it. Still, of course, a habit. I do it. Yeah, because it's a good product. Thank you. It's kind of a journaling thing. I think. Yeah, it's it's a reminder. Yeah, Uh, and then I I use Foursquare when I go to a new city and I or even a new part of New York and I want to go find some place to eat. It's a really, really good recommendation. It's a really too. good product. Yeah. It's way better than Yelp. If you're using Yelp to figure out where to eat, you've screwed up. You should be using Thank Foursquare. you. That was a great compliment. I, I've, I've issued this compliment multiple times on Twitter, and whenever I do, I get a lot of retweets from the hardcore Twitter uh, Foursquare fans. Excellent. I do think about it a lot because you are often telling me that the app often says, hey, you should turn on your your notifications mm-hmm. or your, your – um, the uh, location awareness full-time. You should do that. It will help you. Always allow, yes. And I never want to do it. Mm -hmm. And partly because I think it makes my phone work less good than it should. you will take issue with that. And also I think, I don't know, you don't need to have that data. I'll give you the data when I want to give that data. I'm not especially paranoid about Mm -hmm. that stuff, but I am thinking now in 2019 when there's a big discussion about privacy and scraping data and what Google and Facebook using to target me, there's a lot of talk about regulation, how you think Foursquare fits into that conversation. Because on the one hand, there's, at least for me, there's an active trade, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you something about where I am or where I'm going. You're going to use that data to help fund the company, and in return, you're going to give me information. That's a fair trade. I'm aware of what's going on. Yeah,
1: I would take that one step further, right, where it's like, you know, we want to provide value to the user. It's It's not like, you know, in addition to hey, we, we have information um, or data about you and we can use that for advertising purposes. Like, I, I want to know like what coffee shops your phone went into so that I can recommend you a similar one right. when you go to Tokyo or San Francisco.
0: And it used to be that the, 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 the idea was you were going to fund the business with advertising. I think there are probably still ads in there.
1: Yeah, well, advertising inside the app. Inside the like app. Like promoted tweets right. or stuff like that. But no. your
0: real business is collecting all that data and then selling it to someone else who can use it, right? Uh,
1: packaging it in advertising segments that other folks can use for targeting or attribution.
0: Yes, is that, is that the main business, or is it data they're using for research purposes? What's Where, where does, uh, you create this corpus, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the, the tech well, word?
1: I, do we, I don't know, we never use the word corpus. The other guys do. Yeah, okay.
0: Now they all say surface. I mean, it's a different term.
1: Surface? This is
0: the... Facebook term okay. you know, if you want to t- yeah, talk about we're not it, using building a new terms. thing. <laughs> um, but the point is it's it's the the data that I'm generating and, yeah. and however many millions of other people are still yeah. using the app. What happens to that data? How do you make money from that data?
1: Yeah, so, you know, like Big chunk of our understanding is just like, you know, the the places that phones go to. And so we're not necessarily interested in like the path that you move through the city. Uh We're interested in the stops, right? And the stops being, we call them visits. And the visits are like, oh, you went to a coffee shop and the coffee shop was called Starbucks. You went to, uh, you know, went to a movie theater. You went to a men's clothing store. And then we can use that data to reach them with advertising or to measure how effective your advertising was through attribution products
0: so it's still an ad, it's still b- being primarily used for people who want to eventually reach consumers via advertising
1: yeah it's like it's you know the marketing technology in a sense like that's one one part of the business uh-huh. right there's another part of the business that's all about uh, developer tools right and so that includes everything from the Foursquare places API which has you know 110 million places in it uh, and so companies like uh, you know uber might use that or uh, Twitter uses that or Samsung uses that or Apple uses some of the data occasionally Uh you know, to, to make their products better, right? They're, it's it's not our map of the world in terms of in terms of maps, but it's our POI data set. Uh, and then we have technology that we POIs. POI is uh, places of interest, uh-huh. right? So dot dot. They're not our maps, but there are dots on those maps. Uh, and then there's the technology licensing, which is super interesting to us. As you know, I think the core piece of technology that we built at Foursquare is this thing called Pilgrim. Uh, and Pilgrim is a couple lines of code um, that we've now packaged up as an, an SDK. Okay. and you know we run it in our apps, the City Guide app, the Swarm app. Uh, and there's a bunch of other developers that are um, have in their apps as well. And, you know, if you're running the Pilgrim, the Pilgrim Engine, when you bring your phone into a place and that phone stops, we can, you know, we can tell the app, hey, this phone just walked into a coffee shop. The name of the coffee shop is Think Coffee. And has this phone ever been to this place before? Like, is this a familiar place? Is this an unfamiliar place? Which is a really, like, critical piece of technology if you want to build contextual aware applications, right? So, you know, apps that change based upon where you take them, apps that change based upon where you've been or apps that can maybe predict the types of things that you'd like to go to in the future. And like a big bet for the company, even going back to like, you know, trying to get this stuff work in 2012, 2013, 2014 is like the future of mobile applications are like, you know, mobile apps that do work for you, right? That do work for you when you are out in the real world. And a critical part of that is understanding like who you are. So what you're describing,
0: a uh, software slash hardware that tracks where you're going. Yeah tells you information about where you are, yeah. tells other people information about where you are. Five years ago, the conventional tech wisdom was like, of course we're doing this. Yeah. Of course, you know, there was always a you know, an ad version of this where you walk by a Starbucks mm-hmm. and your phone pings you and tells you to come in and get a free latte. Yeah. And it was, everyone just sort of nodded and said, of course. 2019, culturally, politically— people get freaked out when you have these conversations, or at least people talk about, my, my phone spying on me? Yeah. Is, fa- is Facebook listening to my conversations? Yeah, and it turns out, actually, they are, uh, even though they said they weren't forever. Should my phone know where I'm going? People don't, you know, if you, if you really want to get freaked out and you have an iPhone, you can do, like, multiple, multiple clicks, and you can see there's actually a map inside your mm-hmm. phone that tells, you, tells Apple where you were yeah. almost minute by minute of every day. Has that political and cultural climate shift... Affected the way
1: Foursquare is going to operate its business, only in the sense that there's like there's a lot of bad actors in the location like data space, and so there's companies that will, you know, collect GPS trails from like a, a flashlight app or a poker game or something like you know an app that has no business collecting the location, and those apps will collect lots of data trails, like where every step this person took during the day, during the week, during the month, and they'll resell that data Right. And, and you're exchangers.
0: 100% not aware of that because you'd never consider that your flashlight app was going to track you. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so that's sort of easy to say, well, there's a clear line there. If yeah. you haven't opted into that and said specifically, I want to do that. Then, yeah. And Apple was cracking down, I think, mm-hmm. more than others. Um, but. So that's an easy sort of line to not cross.
1: Yeah. Well, you you would think so, but then I mean, there's a there's a lot of companies that that do that. Right. You know, when the New York Times wrote this story, I think it was December of last year. Uh, it was a front page story about like, hey, what? There are apps out there that are collecting location information on you, and here's what they can do with them. You know that. That article focuses mostly on a lot of these bad actors, right. right? When people talk about, hey, this space should be legislated, like they're talking about like find those bad actors and prevent them from being able well, to do Well that's where those I think it gets things.
0: fuzzy. Because again, I think it's clear to say, look, if there's a company who says, if you use my app, it will yeah. give you a flashlight mm-hmm. or you can play poker and and the real purpose of it is to harvest your data and sell it and stuff yeah, like yeah. That's one thing. But if you're using a phone, yeah. period, Apple Google, whomever, is collecting that data. Mm -hmm. Facebook is collecting that data. You guys are collecting that data. Um, And it's grayer, I think, for a lot of people because they're not really aware that they're opting into this either, that they're they're carrying a tracking device with them. And again, a lot of focus increasingly on on Google and Facebook and, and what they're doing with data and if people are aware of what's being tracked. Um, And I think you guys have tried to sort of say, look, we're different than that, but I'm a little confused about what what the difference is.
1: Yeah, well, I I, I think we are different than a lot of the companies because, um, you know, we have like this really solid, good actor ethical stance for things. And, you know, our belief is like, Data is a privilege, right? It's not our right to collect this. It's a privilege. And if you don't want to give it to us, then you can opt out of it. And we will be very clear and transparent with how to opt out. Uh, if you want to delete it, like, we'll be very clear and transparent with how to delete it. It's your data, right? We're, you're just, uh, you know, letting us use it in exchange for using our services. Uh, another part of that is just, like, super transparent opt-ins on things, right? You know, as opposed to having, you know, a privacy policy that's a 1,000 pages long, you know, try to explain these things in plain language to people, right? Even if you only have a little bit of a screen, of screen space to do so, you know, like in a consent screen on iOS or Android, like, do your best in concise language to say, hey, this is what the app is doing, to, you know, to give you some return and value, and this is what the app is doing in terms of, you know, analytics data and advertising.
0: Yeah, I mean... I- I don't want to harp on it, but a little bit. Like so, again, I use Swarm. I don't yeah. exactly know why, and I periodically, I'm sure if I open it up right now, I'd say, "Hey, you should turn on, you should, you should, you should turn on your location stuff because you're missing out." Yes. Yep.
1: But I'm not missing out. You are. Your life log will fill in automatically. You don't yeah. have to check in every place. Like yeah, that's but, a but vision that's, of that product. Yeah,
0: but I don't. I'm I'm choosing when to check in, and I don't check in at the liquor store because I think probably I should. Check in I, at some point. The fact that I've checked into a liquor store many, many times, yeah, is probably not good for me. <laughs> um, we can have a longer conversation about that. But I, um, I, I do want to sort of manually think about when I'm telling you and other people where I'm going. Yes, um, and again, I'm a relatively sophisticated user, but I think that most people probably aren't. And I think, um, I think it's hazy for a lot of folks what is going on and I think most folks day to day don't care Hmm? they're probably most concerned about don't care yet don't care yet yes because they don't know but if you say hey did you know your phone is tracking you They they would say I didn't know that I don't like that
1: I think, you know, if you sit down with someone, and the tricky thing is, like, how do you sit down with 10 million people at once and explain this? And it's like, okay, well, let's take the word tracking and kind of decompose it a bit, right? So Foursquare has this understanding of where the phones have been, right? We, we, we mainly listen for the stops. What's important to us is the places that you stopped at. You know, the stops that we generate, you can see them in the app. It's a core part of Swarm. It's a core part of the Foursquare experience, the City Guide experience. And then, you know, in terms of how we use those stops, like, they are anonymized down to your mobile ad ID on your phone and put into different segments uh, with, you know, thousands or millions of other users that then advertisers have access to. I think, like— When you get down to the point where, like, some shifty third-party folks are like, oh, well, yeah, I have a mobile ad ID. Can you tell me all the places that they went to? Like, that is clearly wrong. Right. Right? Uh, Especially because, like, some of the mobile ad IDs can be uh, translated back to, like, PII, personal information. Like, you can get, like, this person's name from the the mobile ad ID. So it's, you know, to do this, like, one-to-one stuff is is not something that we— we deal with. Like, you know, our whole thing is like aggregate all the data, anonymize the data, and then make those make that data set available to um, people that we think will do uh, non-malicious things with it. Periodically, you guys, I have seen in the past, you guys will say, hey, the new iPhone
0: is coming out and we have data that is allowing us to predict the relative success of the new iPhone based on traffic into yeah. Apple stores. Is that is that sort of market intelligence? Is that a A business for you, or is that sort of a display of what you guys can, what the data you're collecting could do for another customer? Yeah,
1: I mean, we were talking about um, like what is what is B two B. This is me. Like the, the big part of the Foursquare storytelling experience, right? It's like, we used to be a consumer company and now we are, you know, B2B and enterprise. Okay, B2B and enterprise, what does that mean? That means like, some of it's advertising, some of it is measurement, some of it is developer tools, and some of it is analytics, right? And analytics meaning like, hey, if we have an understanding of where a lot of phones are going, you can do really interesting stuff on that. You know, predicting the stock price of, of retail stores based upon how much foot traffic has gone up and down. You know, working with urban planners to help them understand which types of people are using which types of spaces or neighborhoods for which types of purposes? Um, like that's that stuff is really interesting to help retail partners figure out. Hey, I've got to put five. Um, Stores somewhere in Dallas. Like, can you help me figure out what would the, be the best locations based upon the types of customers we want to drive into the stores? Like that, you can do that type of stuff with our data. Yeah, and we build tools that enable that. And then a lot of clients or customers will come to us with these really kind of like interesting problems and say, "Hey, I'm trying to solve this sp- very specific data challenge. Like, do you have data that can help us?" And the data, you know, the answer is almost always, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we can help you with that. We we'll give you some kind of insight into that.
0: When did you become aware that this would be a business for you as opposed to, because this initially this was a social app, and you had built an earlier version of this called Dodgeball, yeah, yeah. which you sold to Google uh-huh. early on, and then basically sort of didn't exactly recreate, but sort of did another version of this idea. Yeah. Like, I'm going to tell you where your friends are. I'm going to tell you about cool things you might like. It's a consumer thing. At what point did someone say, you know, this actually could be a lot of data that we could sell? directly to businesses?
1: We, you know, we knew that, like, the check-in data from where people were going to, like, where all my friends were going to brunch, like, we knew that was interesting when we were at Google. And we were trying to ring the bells being like, this is a really cool data set, like, you got to help us build something here. Um, when we rebuilt the data set through Foursquare, that was the purpose of the product. Like, let's make this living, breathing city guide that helps you find a great place based on where everyone else has been. Like, that That's that was the original thesis. And then, you know, like, my focus has always been product. I just want to make product. I Smart maps, cities used to use, like, that's, that's what I focus on. And then as we started hiring business development people, uh, you know, chief revenue officer, we start seeing these opportunities. Like, hey, Dennis, I know you're excited about the living, breathing map of the world, but, like, Chipotle over here is excited about this, and Procter & Gamble is excited about this. And so, like, how can we help them leverage some of the data and technology we have? And th- that's been a, you know, focus of the company since, you know, 2010, right and so, so early
0: on you knew this could be a thing
1: early on we we knew that we you know it always started with like dashboards for for merchants right like if you can understand and this is before we could do any of like kind of the the passive understanding of where people go this is all based on explicit check-ins. But uh, you could tell early on, like, if you just knew which people were going to which places, like, there's amazing things you can build with that for consumers, for businesses, for retail, for, for whoever. It just took us a long time to figure out how to how to build a lot of those things. Because, you know, you focus on what's kind of the 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 tr- not the trendy thing but like what is the thing that advertisers are buying at the at the moment and you know it's like if you follow the kind of evolution of advertising products from to like 2012 to 2019 like we've always had an offering in those spaces and and one of the products that's, that is very successful for us now is an attribution product in fact like we just bought uh, a company called placed which is you know, one of the market leaders in advertising attribution. We bought the company out of Snapchat. We bring it into Foursquare. uh, And now, like, hey, we're the best of breed... Uh, attribution provider. In addition to having like some of the most amazing developer tools that have ever been built, and then we kind of look at the you know the assets the company has. It's like, wow, we can like we're, we we kind of are best in breed in almost all of these location data platforms. What el- like how do we continue to build on top of that?
0: You guys were part of a class of startups, both the New York startups, mm-hmm. uh, and then but just uh, through Twitter around the same time, and Facebook's obviously earlier, but where they were consumer apps. Mm. Let's make something cool that people want to use. And then the question was, great, how do you make money? And the answer was always advertising, but along the way, the founders were sort of resistant to it and not entirely sure they wanted to do ads. The Twitter guys specifically were really not into it initially um, Zuckerberg, I think for a while, wasn't, sure. didn't embrace it. Did you know early on? Yeah, we're going to do, this thing will be ad supported. We will trade your attention for advertiser money. That, that'll be the trade.
1: Yes. But we, we expected the ads to come from local merchants, right? Like not, not Starbucks, but from, you know, think coffee and Ninth Street express That's your go-to, think yeah. coffee. Yeah. yeah, that's the place I think we yeah. went at. Uh, it's like one of my favorite coffee shops in the city. <clears throat> in fact, a lot of Foursquare built at Think Coffee. It wasn't it wasn't being coaxed into it because like we wanted to build those services for those merchants. Like, hey, we love these businesses. We want to help them drive more more foot traffic. And then what we started to understand is that as we built up a local sales force, it's like it is a very, very expensive to have people calling every single coffee shop in Manhattan when you can just go out and do one phone call with Starbucks.
0: That was the Groupon, uh, for briefly Groupon when Groupon was a giant deal. Yeah. It's like they've solved local advertising, but what yeah. they did is they just had a ton of people selling ads to local merchants enormously yeah, expensive
1: like the joke in the, the location space has always been like it's it's impossible it's impossible to succeed in in you know the location ad sales space, just because it's so expensive. To you have call to go to each coffee
0: shop, call each coffee shop, explain and, and what the, it and is. And the
1: manager is not empowered to you know spend hundred dollars on these ads. I mean, there's companies like Yelp that focus on this. Companies like Google that focus on them. that that is that is their business. It's like in advertising local sales. It's like a new version of a Yellow Pages yeah. business, right? And the difference between the way that we looked at Foursquare in 2010 is like, oh, it's local advertising. Sure, it's advertising, but it's local advertising. We're going to do. And the way that we look at it now, it's like, no, no, no we are a local location technology platform like they are the stories are similar but like they're totally this they're totally different in the sense of like what we can do today in 2019 is you know, like the products that we build in 2019 are the products that we expected uh, Google to make in 2010, right? And this is an interesting story where, you know, we kind of sat in our, we, we had this vision for all these things we wanted to make in the consumer app. And we were a social social media company, right? Because that's what you were in 2000 and 2010. And it's like, if we just wait long enough, you know, Google will build the engine that lets us know, oh, users walked into a coffee shop and it's called Think Coffee. Right? Google will make that. Apple will make it. Obviously. Like they're the companies that should make it. That's a really that's a really hard problem to solve. And we kept waiting, we kept waiting, we kept waiting. They never made it. Right. You know, Apple got on stage once in like 2011 talking about iOS. 5 and the iPhone 4S, geofences. This is a thing. This is going to be the th- the, the big thing with the, the new iPhone. And so we're sitting there like, this is it. This is our moment. We can build all the products we want. We buy the new phone. We download the new OS. We're running it. And you have this moment of, like, this doesn't work. This was designed in Cupertino for strip malls. Like, we we are in Manhattan on St. Mark's Place. Like, we need, like, if someone's going to build this technology, it's going to be us. And we had this epiphany of, like, we are not, you know, a social media company. We are going to be this, like, badass technology company. And it's it's going to be our job to figure out how to do this. And so, you know, we had and a And that
0: part b- excites you. The, the building the thing that Apple hasn't built or can't build well, or doesn't want to <sighs> build.
1: It's, I can hear it it's in more voice. scared the shit out of us, yeah. right? Because we go back to the board and it's like, okay, remember, you know, everyone's doing social media. Like, this is this is a technology play. Like, this is data science. This is machine learning. This is like, we're uniquely equipped to do this because we have all these check-in data, which n- nobody else has. Like, people might have been like, poo-pooing us like, oh, it's so cute. You guys have check-ins at coffee shops. I'm like, yeah, but we have billions of them at all these places. And that is an asset that no one else has. Let's use that to make a pretty awesome map of the world. And then, you know, we kind of went on this pilgrimage with the board, uh, like we're going to solve this problem or die trying, which is why the product is called Mm -hmm. the Pilgrim. And we built it, but it took three years of none of it working before it started working.
0: And this is where I want to get into the, the context of, of what it was like for you founding the company, launching the company. Yeah. Uh, you launched at South by, like we talked about. there are in the sort of legend of South by Southwest. You, you, what's going to be the next hot app? Yeah. It was you guys. And there's really only a couple apps that sort of launched with any sort of fanfare. And really I think you guys were the apex of it. People were excited to yeah. know that you were gonna launch this thing. You're talking two thousand nine? Yeah. Right? Okay. And
1: uh, I felt like we did this again in 2019 for right? ten years, yep. which is which is super yep. fun. Yeah, No, okay. I'm going, going yeah. back
0: in time. I remember there was a there was a check-in war between you and another company that I can't remember. Goala. Yeah. There, there you go. And you were a person that people knew. You and your co-founder were eventually in gap ads. A Gap true. ad. You That's were in a true. Best Buy ad. I was. I was looking at coverage from the, the uh, Gap this, ad. This, this is this part is, of the
1: conversation, not really necessary. This is very in my opinion.
0: This is. This <laughs> tells you everything you need to know. This is a mashable description of the ad campaign uh, of the Gap ad campaign. which you're wearing a chunky cardigan,
1: by the way, I, I was just looking at the sweater. It's you cute. know, I didn't. I didn't get the, a free cardigan out of it. You should have. Yeah. It included
0: relatively. This is a quote. Relatively high-profile figures, including former first niece Lauren Bush, actor Ryan Quanten from True Blood. And style blogger Susie Bubble. So you were in some kind of company there. I don't know. I've heard of Lauren Bush. I well,
1: how do people. they describe us?
0: It's, 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 you're, you're in it.
1: Oh, well, okay. It's the, 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 it's, the point
0: is, it was a story about you guys being in a Gap ad, and the fact that you were in a Gap ad was both interesting and didn't seem crazy, that, that you were a it was the, startup co-founder. The
1: dawn of the celebrity tech founder, yeah. right? Which we, you know, lived through and survived and have moved on from.
0: It is really interesting, right? It seems sort of natural at the time, at least in the little bubble that I was in, that of yeah. course the people who are founding these companies would be famous. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's more or less gone away. I think people know who Mark Zuckerberg is. I think we and they maybe know who Travis Kalanick is. Yeah. They know who Elizabeth Holmes is. Maybe they probably can't tell you who runs most of the other startups or even tech companies. Well, yeah.
1: The question is like, what, what do people know them for? Right. You know, like this is kind of like a, a side topic, but like one of the most rewarding parts of the whole Foursquare experience is. It can, is like, you know, I can go through an airport and someone will like be like, hey, are you Dennis from Foursquare? Still today, 2019. Like, yeah, it happens like not not super often, but it happens often enough. And, um, and like I just want to tell you, I, I saw you speak at this thing, you know, eight years ago and I decided to start my own company after that and it didn't work out, but then I used that to get a job somewhere else and it's awesome and thank you. And it's like, cool, that's awesome. Like, I, I get that a lot a, a lot and it's like, I'm um, okay, we'll like teary but it's like that's that's super meaningful for me. Like, that means like. You know, like we've been doing Foursquare for 10 years, and sometimes you're like, Gosh, 10 years? This is the longest job I've ever had. This has been such a struggle. You sacrifice so much to do this in a sense. And it's rewarding because, like, I hear that from people all the time. And it's like, Okay, that's great. Like, if one little nugget of that, like, pushed someone that I may never ever meet to go do something, or we made it a little bit easier, a little bit more accessible, or talking about how CEO job is hard. Yeah, we screwed up a thousand things along the way. Like, yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah, it's okay to give up the gig. Yeah, it's okay to. Admit that you don't know the answers to every question that every employee comes with you like that's helpful stuff to hear in an age where like every you know a lot of the tech founder stories like oh yeah we invented this thing we knew every answer we crushed it from beginning to end we're awesome. You know, it's like there's very little honesty in the struggle of the journey, which drives me nuts, to be honest. Um, and so the fact that, like, our story is associated with, like, the the realism and the honesty of, like, yeah, it's been a fucking drag through this whole thing. But, like, we are almost at the other side of it. Like, we made this thing work. Like, we survived. We thrived. We reinvented. We went through every hurdle you could possibly do. And, like, we're still kicking ass in New York Tech ten years later. Like, that's that's rewarding. What was it like being
0: much more famous for a couple of years where people were, many more people were stopping you on the street? Um, or there was a period where like uh, Business Insider would, would track everywhere you went uh, and run, Dennis, Dennis Crowley is spotted in Silicon Valley. Here he is next to an expensive car, I remember there was a picture of that. I assume that was not great. But also, you get invited
1: cool. to more events. It's yeah, and then you sometimes go to the events, and sometimes you don't. But that's the only thing that really changes. I think like you can definitely let it go to your head. Uh, it, it, like it's, I can imagine how easy it is for all this to go to your head. Like we, we lived through a little bit of this with dodgeball, right? So we were grad students at NYU. We sold our company to Google. Like, we were eating pizza at Pizza Mercado near NYU every day, you know, like, living off, like, $30 in our bank account, and then suddenly, like, our grad school thesis gets acquired, and I was like, that's awesome. So, we kind of lived through this, like, little mini, like, I hate to even call it, like, celebrity moment, but, like, arrogance. Like, we lived through the arrogance moment of that, the personal arrogance moment of that, and just, you know, whatever. Because you were hot shit. Because we were hot shit, right? And then, as before, like the internet was really super yeah. important, and then it all went away, right? And you know, like we went to Google, like we couldn't make it work. We left. I left the code base behind. I left the user base behind. Like I was super depressed for like a year. And my buddies are like, "Don't worry, you'll find something else you want to work on. You know, we, we believe that you'll figure it out." Like I needed pep talks from my buddies to get out of this. And then you start you know, we started Foursquare again and, you know, it's like run the same playbook, but this time it's like, listen, no screwing around. Like, we know what we have to build. Like, we have one shot to do this. Like, we're lucky to get another shot to do this. Like, let's, let's make this thing. We'll do it in New York. Don't get distracted. Hire the best people. Like, get the best investors. Just just go and do it. And that's that's what we did. And so we we beat all these other competitors at the time because I think they were like feeling their way around the space. Like, gosh, what could you do if you knew where the phones are? I'm like, I know what to do. We wrote a hundred page thesis on N- NYU. Like we already made this company. Like now we're going to go do it again and we're going to do it right. And so, yes, we got to live through the gap, ad stuff and get invited to all this stuff. And it's like, hey, we have a job to do. And the job is to make the most like kick-ass tech company in New York. And that's what we're doing. And don't get distracted. There was a period where there was a
0: long on-off reporting and speculation about whether or not you guys were going to sell the company to Yahoo or somewhere else. How close did you get to to selling?
1: Um, I mean, like, you get to the point where you make a decision, do you want to sell it or not, and it comes down to what you want to do. We had that a couple times, and it was always— You know, like I had sold a company before and we made some money off of it and didn't make me happy or happier. In fact, it made me kind of miserable. And so I was like, what makes me happy? Like what makes us happy as the team? Like we're building stuff. We're building stuff that no one else is building. And we're doing it in a city where no one's building tech stuff. And like people are paying attention and it's big and it's important and it's meaningful. And you know, like those are those are tough decisions. Like you know, we had sold the company to Facebook many many moons ago. We, we would have made tons and tons of money, right? A life changing amount of money,
0: generational wealth. Potentially. Yeah, yeah,
1: but we didn't, and. You know, like, people will, you know, give me a hard time about that. Oh, man, is, you, know, you had your chance and you missed it. I'm like, did we? Like, we built this kick-ass company in New York that's inspired this whole generation of, of entrepreneurs. We have, like, a, a laundry list of X Foursquare people that have gone on to start companies, sell companies, run companies. Like, that's rewarding, right? And so at the end of the day, I'm like, that's that's what we did. Like, I— I'm psyched about it.
0: Tumblr was another company that I, sort of the same class of New York tech companies around the same time, uh, started by a very young co-founder, product guy, sold for $1.1 $1. $1. $1 billion last last week. Uh, the news was that Verizon had sold it off to WordPress, or Automatic for- Sold it like four years ago, right? Three
1: years ago? Oh. Well, you said sold it last week, and i mean no, no, no like, three... oh no, no, no. Verizon sold, sold, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It was sold to sold to Yahoo for yeah, a billion yeah. dollars. Yahoo's built bought by
1: Verizon.
0: Verizon's written down Yahoo. They were selling off most of those assets. They sold Tumblr to yeah. uh, to Automatic for a couple million dollars, mm-hmm. basically. And at least on Twitter, which is this is what Twitter does. Everyone's sort of guffawing, and I'm I'm not sure who the joke is supposed to be. I guess the joke is on Verizon, theoretically. Uh, I'm just curious what you thought of. That watching that story sort of play out as gi- given someone who didn't sell the company who's still running or still attached to that company,
1: um, you know the the employees there did well financially. The Tumblr employees. The Tumblr, season, Tumblr employees, especially did. David Carp. Uh, yeah, I had a bunch of friends that worked at Tumblr, and, and, and they did well with that. You know, I, I haven't talked to David in, in a bit, but like, I would imagine that—I I know this from first-hand experience. Like, if you have a, a company that you love, and you, you let it go, and then something doesn't, something great doesn't happen to it, like, you just carry that with you for a long time. Like I carried that with me for a long time with Dodgeball. And until, the money doesn't balance it out, or the money helps balance it out, or— I mean, we, we didn't make David cart money off yeah. it, but, like, you know— it, no, it's like you, you, you know. We were comfortable in New York after that, but like I, I, I'm not motivated by the briefcase full of money. I am motivated to like. I want to build things that people think are cool. I want to build stuff that people respect. I want to build stuff that inspires other people to build better stuff. Like it is like I'm 43. It has taken me like. I, I think I was only able to articulate that thing. In the last like five or six years, and I think the humbling experience of dodgeball, and then the um, kind of the the tr- not tr- not tr- like, I'm trying to think of the right word, just like the 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 agonizing decision to keep the company or sell the company, and then to ride the ride the, our company foursquare through the ups and downs, like did we do the right thing? Did we not do the right thing? And then to come out where we are today with like company's doing well. We might IPO this thing in two years, right? Like we're a defining tech company in New York. There is a a laundry list of people that have had, that have spent time at Foursquare that have had amazing, amazing careers. But it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I can like clearly articulate like what is important to, to me and what keeps me going. And I think like my personal magic trick has been that I've been able to turn my small role at Foursquare well, my small role is Foursquare Labs, and my big role is like you know Johnny, executive chair, into specifically the three things that energize me.
0: You slipped and in. You slipped in the IPO I, thing there. I did. I did. I didn't. I didn't I, see Sarah at I'm, I'm
1: getting. I didn't get kicked under the table. I had so not considered
0: you guys an IPO candidate.
1: Well, what what makes an IPO candidate? I don't know. You tell
0: me. I don't we, normally. There's like years of like, They're going to IPO.
1: Okay. Uh, what well, we fit that? Go. What else? What Let's start it. Uh, I don't know. Did you read the WeWork S1 that came out this week? We are not losing billions of dollars, so maybe we don't qualify. <laughs> you know, but we're. I mean, this this year we're north of hundred million dollars in revenue. You know, like we have to, like we know we need to be. Um, I think the, the numbers, like you gotta be growing at like, you know, 30, 30% year over year. And like we're, we're flirting with those numbers. Like we are, we do not qualify today to IPO, but we look at, we look at like what it takes to be a company that qualifies and like, Holy cow, like, we, we are within spitting distance of being able to do that and getting over $100 million, with, which is with, you know, some help from the place acquisition. You put two revenue streams together, and then, you, you know, you kind of run the table on, on parts of this, like, location, you know, technology platform space as we're doing. Like, that, that gets us closer. So,
0: you could be the co-founder of a publicly traded company in a couple of years.
1: That, that is true. That would be a good little notch on the Wikipedia page. That's
0: pretty yeah. You have a very good Wikipedia page. Um, you are also a, a uh, sports magnate.
1: I wouldn't say sports magazine. You 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 own a, a soccer team. I am the chairman of a Division Four soccer team. Explain yes. what a Division Four soccer team Division is. Division Four soccer team is like in the U.S. soccer pyramid. There's the MLS, which everyone knows about. There's a couple of leagues under the MLS, and and I'm in a league called the NPSL, and we are right at the like right at the line between amateur and pro, and so like I, I look at this as like it's a startup soccer team, and the league is full of startup soccer teams, and the teams like much like a tech startup starts and tries to grow and tries to, you know, make it so they can compete against Google and Facebook, like we are starting, we're growing, we're looking at the path to go from amateur to pro, from short season to long season, and then how do we get to the point where we're playing these pro teams, and how do we fight our way to play the best teams? So the line between amateur and pro means you are or are not paying the players on your team? We, we are not. We use a lot of college players, and because of NCAA rules, I cannot have a college player that is unpaid with NCAA NCAA eligibility, sitting on the same bench as a pro player. And this is this is upstate, right? This is yeah. This is in Kingston, New York. The club is called Kingston Stockade. And I'm I'm gonna see them sometime. You should come on and see it. Awesome. We, yeah.
0: we we talked in the spring. So you should come see him. I said great, and then I realized it's a very short season. It's a
1: super short season. Yeah, yeah. and then I'm, I'm on the board of the league too. And so you know, in addition to wearing my like strategy and vision hat for Foursquare, I wear my strategy and vision hat for the the league, which is like just super fun. Pretty cool to own a soccer team. It is very cool. It's also a lot of work, right? Yeah. And so we have an amazing army of volunteers and, and supporters that help make this thing happen. But I often think, like, what am I going to do after Foursquare? What am I doing 10 years from now? You know, I'd like to do more with that at Kingston. You Kingston know? Stockade, did we get the name it's right? It's called, yeah, st- uh, stockadefc.com. All right. I bet there's a cool
0: T-shirt involved, right?
1: Yeah, this is like the one day I don't have a Stockade no, FC T-shirt right. on. All right. Just, just an American flag. Just an American. Just bike. an American. Actually, it's a, it's a Nike soccer T-shirt for the mean. men's national team.
0: Good, good gear. Tech co-founder, soccer magnet. We've got the re- you can go look up the rest of the Wikipedia bio. Anything we're missing?
1: Um. Good podcast guest. I, I think this is a good podcast, Sarah. What do you think? Did I miss anything? Sarah's smiling. <laughs> Dennis, I'm glad we got to do this. Thank you for coming. This was this was super fun. Thanks for having me on the show. It's always fun to talk about the the foursquare story. Um, can I say? Can I say one more thing? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, this is what people do at the end of podcasts. They plug their stuff, right? All right. Two things you you should know about Foursquare is that, number one, we are always hiring. And in New York, it uh, is—we have tons of jobs that are open. Actually, New York, Chicago— uh, San Francisco, LA, Seattle. I'm like gonna charge you for everywhere. This it's fine. It gets a long one. Okay, okay. You're, gonna, you're not gonna edit that, are you? No. Oh, no come no. on. No. If stay in. It, oh, he's so no. angry. Uh, so, foursquare. dot Foursquare.com slash jobs. Second of all, the best piece of technology we have is Pilgrim SDK. Like the the vision of Foursquare has always been make these awesome tools and make them accessible to people. And so that has been something we've been holding very very tight because it, it it powers all the stuff we do. Software developer kit. Uh, yeah, the, so- the, the Pilgrim SDK, this, this magic piece of software that lets apps know, like, would you walk into a coffee shop or a bakery? It's going to be hugely important for AR, uh, hugely important for augmented, um, like for, for agents and software agents, intelligent agents, all that stuff. Location-based games, like we're going to make that available for everyone to use in the nearest future. That's probably the biggest thing that we will have done as a company We'll probably talk more about it, but like that's that's a big deal.
0: Okay, so you can go to Foursquare.com and learn more about that. If you're uh, smart, you can yeah. figure it out. If yeah, you know if what you, an SDK is, you're going to figure yeah, it if out. You, how if get you, this.
1: <laughs> yeah, or just find me on Twitter and I'll tell you how to get it. Find Dennis on
0: Twitter, find him at Think Coffee. Um, thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Golda and Jelani and Joel for making this sound even better. Thanks to our advertisers. Thanks to you guys. We will see you next week.